One of the things that I've learned is that you can learn a lot about a person just by watching them drive. So for instance, if you're riding with someone and they're driving in the middle of rush hour traffic and I-35 with cars whizzing by them on both sides, you learn a little bit about how that person handles pressure situations. Or if they're, they're driving and someone cuts them off, or they're rude in some other way, you learn about a person's patience level. And if you listen closely, you might even learn um, a little bit about their vocabulary. <laughs> I've learned that you can learn a lot about relationships by watching married couples drive. Husbands and wives, it seems it doesn't matter how long you've been driving, old or young, husbands and wives always seem to have something to say about how their spouse is doing. Um, if you were to ride with me, one of the things you'd probably learn about me is that I, I don't really like waiting very long. I'm not a very patient person, and I'm not really a very patient driver. I try to be a nice driver, but what happens is I am always in my mind, some of you maybe have this issue too, always thinking about the fastest lane and the shortest route. And if there is a shortcut to be taken, most likely, not always, but most of the time, I'm probably going to give it a try. But I've also learned over the years something about shortcuts. <clears throat> that shortcuts, they're not always better. They give the illusion to being better, but they're not always better, and they're not always quicker. I, I could tell you a very long story about something that happened about a, a month ago. I'll make it very quick. Our family was leaving a Twins game, coming out of, I think it's called Ramp A. I thought I knew a shortcut, it added 20 minutes to a 30-minute drive because of construction and because of traffic. You see, when, when things in driving are, are happening, and, and when you have options, and when sometimes even things aren't going well, sometimes the thing that we opt for is to take control, to take control of the situation. And driving is much like life. When things seem to not be going the way you want, when you are waiting on something that doesn't seem to be working the way you want, when it seems like life is passing you by in the lanes on each side as you're just waiting, sometimes we opt for the same thing to try to take control. Here's a, here's a question for you. How do you react when things in life aren't going your way? I think for all of us, there's a little part in us, and this isn't even all bad. We'll talk about it in a second. But if you're following along in your sermon notes, this is your, your first fill-in for today, that when things aren't the way we want, we try to take control. And you know what? That's not necessarily a wrong thing or bad. In fact, in almost every circumstance or situation, there are some things that are in our control. And for us to do nothing or just to sit on our hands, 
would not be a godly use of our time or our lives. <laughs> like, if your grades aren't very good, it might have something to do with your study habits. Or if your finances are upside down, it might have something to do with your spending habits. This one's going to hurt for me. If your pants don't fit like they used to, it might have something to do with your eating habits and your metabolism slowing down, you know? If your marriage or your relationships aren't going well, yeah, it may not all be your fault, but it may have some things to do with your time and your attention and your focus on it. Now, at the very same time, because there's going to be two things that are true today, at the very same time that there are things that we can probably do and things that we can probably address in almost every circumstance and situation in life, at the very same time, something else is true, that there are some things that I don't have much control over, right? I can try all I want to be six foot five. I have no control over it, right? That's just one example of a lot of things that as much as we try, some things just maybe don't change. And the thing is, and the thing to remember in that is this, that even as we try our best throughout life, that God is the one in control. And that God is the one with the ultimate plan. So, so today, as we continue with Jacob, we're going to have to wrestle with something that um, both things are true, but we just kind of have to wrestle with them in every situation in life. That the, the taking control part versus who's in control. That in almost every circumstance and situation, there probably are some things that we could do a little bit different to help change some things. Sometimes there's nothing you can do, by the way. But in most circumstances, there's something. Versus the reality <laughs> that I am not in control. I can take some control. I'm not in control. You can take some control. You can change some things, but you're not in control. And this is a very, very important thing to wrestle with and to get straight in our minds and in our hearts because there is not only purpose but also comfort on both sides of this. So that's where we're going today. We are in the, the second part of a series where we are taking an in-depth look at a, uh, a patriarch in the Bible that lived 3,700 years ago. His name was Jacob. And as we talked about last week, if you're looking for a series in which we are taking a look at a Bible character who is this great example of trust and resiliency and faith, Jacob's not your guy. In fact, as we learned last week, probably the word that best describes Jacob's life is struggle. He struggled throughout life. And yet, here's the unique thing, and this is why I'm excited about this series this summer, is that I think sometimes I can relate more to someone who struggles 
than someone who God used to part a Red Sea. That I sometimes relate more, find more lessons to be learned from someone who didn't get it right a lot than someone who is the king of an entire nation. And so that, that's Jacob. A few things we learned about him um, last week. Uh, the first is that he is, his grandfather was Abraham. And so he's just two generations removed from the father of the Jewish nation. Remember, Abraham was the one who was given the promise that from his family line someday would come the Savior. His parents' names were Isaac and Rebekah, as I know you can put two and two together. Isaac was the uh, son of Abraham. And then finally, we learned last week that he had an older twin brother, and that brother's name was Esau. Or, and we'll, this will come into play again today, um, Harry, okay, or Red. Uh, his name meant one of those two things. They kind of go together. Now, a few things you need to remember about Jacob and Esau. Uh, they didn't get along very well. Uh, in, in fact, it was, uh, it was promised that uh, Jacob... Uh, would actually, although he was younger, be the one to receive the birthright or the blessing that was usually meant for the older one. They were different as Esau was more of an outdoorsman and hunter, and as was said last week, maybe shopped at Fleet Farm. Um, Jacob, he was more a guy who liked to hang around the tents, and I don't think of him as a bed, bath, and beyond guy. More of a guy who maybe liked to find nice clothes to wear at Mall of America. Let's go there, okay? Now, they were different that way. Esau was hairy, and Jacob was smooth-skinned or didn't have a lot of hair. And the other thing was that their parents played favorites. So Isaac's favorite was, I heard it, Esau, and then Rebecca's favorite was Jacob. And the reason I bring that up is because it plays a big part into where we're going in chapter 27 of Genesis. And that's where we're going to turn right now. When Isaac the father was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am, Esau answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, as it says, uh, Isaac was thinking he was coming to the end of his life and he was also going blind. Interesting thing, actually, in reality is that Isaac was old. In fact, even for that time, 137 years old. But he would end up living another 40 years. So interestingly, sometimes we know God's timing and yet his ways are different than our ways. So he lived another 40 years. But what was happening in this moment is he was feeling like he was losing it, like he was getting old, right? And he also couldn't see anymore. So I wonder if that not being able to see played into some things where he started to understand it's time to pass the baton 
on to the next generation. And through this blessing that he references here, through that blessing, remember, three things were at the heart of it. Number one, that it meant that this person, that son, would be able to now oversee the family business, so to speak, be in charge of the family stuff, receive a double inheritance from the father, and then unique to this family, through that blessing or birthright, it would be announced that through that son would someday come the Savior. And so Isaac calls his favorite son to give the blessing to. But there's a big problem with that. And you know what it is if you've been listening and and following along. As we look back at Genesis chapter 25, God, even before these two boys were born, gave the promise or the direction that it would not be Esau who should receive the blessing, but it would be the younger son, the heel grabber. Remember, they came out of the womb, Isaac holding on to Esau's heel. The older will actually serve the younger. So what's going on here? Well, life's moving. Life's going on. And Isaac didn't like what God had in store. Life was going. But the father Isaac did not like the plans that God had for them. And so you know what Isaac's trying to do? He's trying to take control. Isaac knew God's plan in this situation, but he didn't like God's plan. And here's the thing. What we're going to see, and we're not going to be able to read every single verse in Genesis 27, but but this choice to take control by Isaac in a way that was contradictory or to make decisions that were in conflict with God's plan for the family It caused so many issues and problems and dysfunction that by the end of Genesis 27, and we'll we'll look at this at the end of the message, the family was ripped apart. See, when it comes to take control versus in control, here's a very easy to understand, sometimes hard to put into practice thing to remember. It's our second fill-in for today. When your plan violates God's plan, universal. It's a bad plan. Always. End of story. When your plan for your future is in some way violating God's plan, and that can happen at times. A lot of times God doesn't have specifics about your future, but this could happen. It's a bad plan. When your plans for your schedule violate God's plan for your schedule, it's a bad plan. Where God, your plans, when it comes to priorities, are in conflict with God's plan for priority, it's, it's just a, it's a bad plan. And this can be a difficult thing to navigate in life. I get it. And we're not going to get it right all the time. But when it comes to taking control of a situation, when it comes to making decisions, if my way is conflict with God's way, it's not, it's not the right way. Um, Solomon, 
Years uh, after Jacob wrote it this way, he wrote, there's a way that appears to be right. Why does it appear that way? There could be a lot of reasons, but what he's getting at is it appears that way because we can convince ourselves sometimes that just about any decision we make is right. It's called rationalization. (laughs) And we're great rationalizers in making it sound right, something we really want to do, even if it may not be right. It appears right because not only maybe are we telling ourselves it's right, but the culture says it's okay. He says, there's a way that appears to be right, but that way, when it's in conflict with God's way, it ultimately leads to death. Or to put it a different way, it leads you away from God. And here's the part that's hard. I get it. I want to call it out. That sometimes your way, even when it's in conflict with God's way, it's more fun in the short term. It maybe even is less difficult in the short term. But I will just say, it's always fool's gold. It looks better than it actually is because walking with the Lord is always the best way. Now, uh, today, as you know, is Father's Day. And I don't know that we need to, to rank how, you know, dysfunctional people were in this chapter of Genesis 27. We're, we're just getting started to the entire chapter, but... What I would say is if someone forced me to rank who was most at fault, I would say Isaac. And and here's why. Isaac is the one who had been given the opportunity and responsibility of leadership in the family. And I think this chapter is a great reminder for us that when the, the leader is not following God, a lot of other things can happen as well. That the most important thing that makes a, well, healthy family, I would say, is a leader who follows the Lord. And dads, there is so much responsibility and sometimes even, at least if you're me at times, guilt over how I could do things better or how I could have given my kids more But let me just say this. The best fathers, it's very simple, aren't the ones who give their families or kids a lot of stuff. They're the dads who intentionally give their kids Jesus. And that is amazing opportunity that every single dad has and a privilege that we're not gonna get perfect all the time but it's good just to remember what it's all about. So Isaac tells Esau to go and to uh, kill and prepare some food so that he could give Isaac the blessing. Here we go with some dysfunction. Rebecca was listening as, Esau, as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So you can kind of envision, I don't think she had a cup, but you could just imagine her you know, listening through the, the sheet or whatever. As, oh, I don't trust Isaac. What's he saying to my son Esau? Women, you would never do that to your husbands, would you? Hopefully not. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, look, 
I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Verse six, or verse eight. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Verse 11. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? Now, it's interesting here. Jacob's response was not, but mom, this would be wrong. His response was, but mom, your plan has some holes. What do we do about it? And then he goes on, I would appear to be trick. Oh, go back, Tyler. I would be appear to be tricking him. No, Jacob, it wouldn't appear that you're tricking him. You are tricking him. You're sinning. You're pulling the, the wool over your father's eyes. It would appear that I'd be tricking him and it would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Verse 13. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Verse 15. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which he had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. Isaac may not be able to see, but he can smell. And all that shopping at Mall of America, you don't smell like your, your, son, your brother Esau. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Now, I just need to pause here too and say, like, I've known some hairy guys, But how hairy do you have to be that it, you feel like goat skin and goat hair? Like, here's how you can feel like your son Esau, or like your brother Esau, put goat skin on yourself. Esau had to be one hairy dude. Verse 17. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Now, as I was studying through this this week, I got to this point and I just tried to envision what this must have looked like. You got this this guy who, who walks into his father's tent, his father can't see. He's got some food that his mom prepared for him to give to his dad. He's lying to his dad. And at the same time, he's got like goat hair all over him. I mean, how did he put that on? Was it tied? Did they have some sort of ancient duct tape? I don't know. But you know the word that I came up with as I thought about this and what it, what it would have looked like? Jacob with goat hair all over him? It's just... Ridiculous. Now, add to that this little point that's not such a small point. We often, or maybe you're thinking, hmm, you know, he must have been, to listen to his mom like that, 18, 20, 22. <laughs> you want to guess how old Jacob was? 67. 
67-year-old man saying, yeah, mom, you want me to dress up in some goat skin and put on Esau's clothes? Okay, I'll listen to you. I'll do it. It's just ridiculous. It made me think, I wonder, I wonder what it looks like to God when we, his creation, think that we can control situations. That, that when we, his creation, sometimes in our hearts, think that we know best and are, are, are living our lives trying to control things or, or following our plan, as we talked about already, instead of his plan. You know what that looks like to our creator, our father, God? Ridiculous. I'm ridiculous sometimes. And when it comes to control of things I cannot control, when it comes to thinking I'm in control and I'm really not, it's ridiculous. And you know what else it is? Exhausting. Isn't it? Like, have, have you ever gone through a season where maybe it was a parent for a child where you felt like you needed to make every decision for them because they weren't quite um, mature enough to make the right one? Whew. That sticks in your head for a while, doesn't it? And there's so many other examples of this where when we're trying to be in control of all the details, it's just exhausting. And are there things that we can do in certain situations to help, in a way, take some control back? Yes, we talked about that. But are you in control? You know, some years later after Jacob, Moses, that great but also imperfect leader, was called to lead Israel out of Egypt. And as they started to leave, Pharaoh changed his mind about letting them go, and he commanded his army to chase them, to bring them back, and kill them if needed. And as they're leaving Israel, that is, they get to this place uh, called the Red Sea. And they can't go any further. And on the other side of them is um, the Egyptian army filled with people who want them dead and keep them in their slavery. And in that moment, do you know what God told them through Moses? Take control, swim hard. Take control, fight hard. He told them these beautiful words. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And he was talking in part to the posture of their bodies. But I firmly believe he was talking even more so to the posture of their hearts and their souls. And when you and I believe and understand that there is a God of the universe who is in control and loves you, and Jesus is the proof, you know what's possible? Even in the worst or difficult circumstances, to be still. To not try to control everything. To make changes where needed. 
but the posture of our hearts can be still because the Lord fights for you still today. Fill in number three. You're not in control, so trust the one who is. So as you apply this part of the message to your life, um, I think that there's a couple things for us to think about as uh, some questions that we can consider when we get into life circumstances and life situations. The first one is this, where do I need to take some control? Because there are times where things are going awry and absolutely we need to step up. We need to take some control. We need to make some different decisions. But at the very same time, and a lot of times both of these are true in the same circumstance, where do I need to trust the one who's in control? And let me say, if you feel filled with fear or anger or anxiety or worry about plans or the future, that's a good indicator that you need to be still and remember that you have a Lord who fights for you and who's in control. Now, we're not going to be able to, to read through all of Genesis uh, chapter 27, so I'd encourage you to read through the rest of it on your own this week um, as, uh, as there's a, a lot of good verses. But let me just summarize it this way. Isaac ended up giving the blessing to Jacob. Esau found out and wanted and vowed to kill Jacob, his brother, and so by the end of the chapter, Jacob is on the run and not able to come home for about 25 years. So here's what's happened. Number one, at the end of this chapter, Jacob has no home and no money. Next week, he's going to be using a rock for a pillow because he has nothing. Number two, he doesn't see his brother for 25 years, and then he's really nervous about how that interaction is going to be. We'll study that later this summer. He doesn't see his father for 25 years. And remember that parent for whom he was her favorite? Well, he would never see his mother again. You see, I told you, and this is just one example. It doesn't always happen this bad. But God's plan is always the best plan. And, and as I was thinking about all of this, I think um, an encouragement we could have, which is kind of a duh, no-brainer, is this. Um, don't be like that. Amen. See you later. <laughs> just don't do that. And, and there's some truth in that, no doubt. I think we've learned some things about how to uh, take control in times, but also to, when to remember that God is always in control. But there's something else that I want to point you to that is so amazing in this section and is going to encourage and strengthen your hearts. You see, when you think about this messed up family, there's this question that comes to mind. Doesn't it seem weird that God would choose this family? choose this family to have the Savior someday come? Yes, it seems, weird if, it seems weird if God would decide only to choose perfect families. And doesn't it seem weird that God would choose Jacob to be a part of the family line? Yes, it does seem weird. 
if the only people that God loves or used in his plan were people who were perfect. But that's not how your God works. And this morning, yes, maybe there is some conviction on our hearts for things that we've done or things that we are doing, but we can leave this place filled with joy and peace and confidence because you are God's, not because of how good of a father you are or not, or mother you are or not, or how well you've lived your life or not. You are God's, number four, only because of grace. That is the reason you are God's. And God can use you and he loves you. And you know what? As we close, uh, you know what what Jacob really wanted in this chapter? He wanted acceptance from his dad. And in part, he wanted the blessing from his father. A blessing that he got by deception. You know, there's something in all of us that, first of all, desires the love of our earthly dads. And some of us have had that, and some of us, maybe that's not our story. But we also desire blessing and acceptance from a heavenly father, from God. Let me say, let me tell you, it's kind of weird that we chose us because we don't deserve the blessing. But enter Jesus. And I couldn't help but think of Jacob in this episode as I was studying through some words from Paul to the Galatians this week. Listen to what Paul writes about Jesus as we sort of connect it to what happened in Genesis chapter 27. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, which ultimately would be eternal death, by becoming a curse for us. You know, Esau, if you read through the whole chapter, he received the curse, not the blessing. Jesus deserved a blessing, but he chose to receive a curse. What does that mean? It means he carried our sin to the cross and received the punishment that you and I deserved. The perfect son deciding to receive a curse so that, it continues, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, might come to all of us through Jesus Christ. Now, this blessing given to Abraham, it's not exactly the same blessing that Jacob received, but it's absolutely connected because through that family would come Jesus. And so I don't know how you feel about yourself today, but it doesn't really matter because what we know is that when you see an unworthy guy wearing goat skin as a 67-year-old receiving a blessing from his dad through deception, you and I today rejoice because no matter what our past is, we receive a blessing from our heavenly Father, not through deception, but through Jesus. So trust him. He loves you. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we, we thank you for this opportunity to, to dig into Jacob's life. And yes, you used an unworthy person. A lot of unworthiness going on in this chapter, Lord. And you also bless us despite or in spite of our unworthiness because of your son Jesus who covers that sin. And Lord, help us each day to trust you, to find joy in following your will and plan. You are in control. We need only to be still. In Jesus' name.